Hello, my people. Welcome back to another episode of Delapo and Friends Do Better podcast. I hope y'all have been doing great, even in this crazy year of 2020. I hope y'all are staying safe and that you're blessed. Um, I have a great episode for you. I'm with my friend Lois, great girl, great woman of God, of intelligence, of beauty, just everything. Pam, pam, pam. Um, you know, as you listen to this episode, it's about black girls in white suburbs. I hope you get a gain a perspective of, you know, my life from 2005 to now. Um, you know, you people that come and just listen to the podcast and don't want to rate anything, listening to it on Apple Podcasts, you don't want to leave review, please rate the podcast, leave review. It's free, baby. It's free. So don't be stingy. I'm not asking for gold from me anyways. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Yes. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Delapo and Friends Do Better podcast. I'm here with one of my great friends, Lois Owalabi. Um, Lois, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi. Yes. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Lois. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm Yerba. I'm 22, I think. Um, and yeah, I'm a friend of Delops. Yes. So I don't know if this is the first time people are hearing, Del- no, Mes- Meso was here. So I think this is the second time they're hearing Delops on here. But oh, yeah, okay. one of my nicknames, many nicknames. I mean, I don't know. It's only six letters, but people have done so much to those six letters. <laughs> All right. So today on this episode, um, we're going to be talking about some of the microaggressions that I feel like we have gone through as Black women. And then also, I don't know, even for you, even in your like our ethnicity of being Nigerian felt even more of a minority, even when you're in a community of black people, because we're all black, but then even at then, because I felt like I went through that. But um, can you kind of like describe like the area that you grew up in and how yeah, that affected yeah. you? So I actually I grew up in like three main types of area. So when I was in Midland, Texas, it was predominantly white. Um, and when I was in Maryland, it was pretty diverse. But when I mean diverse, I mean like the people that were black were mostly African-American. You know, we were Nigerians, so we were still African. Um, and then, so now I'm in Carrizo here, which is mostly Hispanic. I think we have like two Filipino families or like two main Filipino families. Um, and like my family and another family that's like sort of 30, 45 minutes away are the two black families that I know of. So it's not very diverse you have to drive uh, 30 minutes to see another black family they usually drive to us for like thanksgiving and we'll have it at our house so but we commune together so there's solidarity there wow i didn't even know it was that drastic for even me like in my cul-de-sac there's still one family is half black and then ours is full black and then the pharmacist around across the cul-de-sac is black so I guess my but at the same time I don't know how long you lived in your um neighborhood since you lived in three different places at three different times but for me when I moved to this neighborhood in 2005 it was still very rural and um even for us we were like one of the few black families in the neighborhood the neighborhood was still one-fourth of what it is right now and I remember just there was countless experiences that we had when we first moved here 
I'm going to get into all of them, but um, this will kind of just be a time for us to kind of share some of our experiences. So I'll go first. And then if you have one, then you can share one. So I remember when we first moved into the neighborhood, um, my parents went to go greet some people like in our cul-de-sac. They, kids were always outside, always playing. And so they went to like, oh, introduce themselves. And like, hi, we're the Akifemiwa family. You know, we just moved here and whatnot. And, you know, they were really nice and everything. And then their little boy says, hi, mom, mom, dad, I thought you said you were scared of them. Mind you, this five, six-year-old boy doesn't have a filter on him. So, you know, everything's coming out now in the open. I'm like, how are my parents supposed to respond to that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember that was like our first introduction into like, really knowing what it means to be a minority because I mean we moved from southwest Houston which is Lagos 2.0 in Texas so uh -huh. Nigeria Central you got everything you need you have a farm African farmers market on every block so right. definitely okay. a major difference how about you do you have any I think I have one similar to that so my dad is the um, obstetrician and gynecologist in the area and sometimes his patients will have a hard time getting um like babysitters or someone a child care so they will bring their kids with them and I remember I was there like it was the beginning of, of the clinic so um and it's like a family affair so we would sort of like help support with like helping run and organize a place and he was um seeing the patient and he usually just says hi to the kids and the kid was like mom he's black and I was like well shit <laughs> like, am I yeah, you're know. fine. You're fine. <laughs> I was like, well, damn. And like, my dad's not someone to react. Like, he doesn't get mad like in public. So he was just, he like laughed it off. But I was like, damn, like, like how rural do you have to be for your kids not to not even know that other skin colors exist? And mind you, there's TV, but like, this kid doesn't even know that another skin color exists outside of their own, which is like very common in our region. When I we we moved from Maryland. And when I told, uh, when I, when we first, first moved here and I started school, people were like, oh, where is that? Is that somewhere in Texas? And I was like, dang, like, their entire worldview is the state. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's really how rural and, like, separated from the rest of the world we are. Mm -hmm. I remember even, too, like, I was working with, like, this elderly woman, and she said she's never left Texas. This woman is 80, 90s, never left Texas, has no desire to ever leave Texas. I'm like, I, I'm really happy with your content with your life, but I'm just like, it's just so drastic to me, like, from the way I think. Um, another experience that I had was, so, you know, I don't know how many times you've had the countless time. Okay, maybe I've only heard it maybe two or three times, like, you're pretty for a black girl. And I remember the one time that I really heard it was I was like at a CC's pizza and like my <laughs> church group had just came back from like, we were doing like a sleep away thing where we're sleeping at people's houses and doing like Bible studies and stuff like that. And um, I remember this one guy being like, yeah, I just don't really find black girls attractive. I mean, except you, I mean, like you're pretty but you're like kind of the only pretty one that I really met. I'm just like, how am I supposed to take this? And you know, like, yeah. you know, when you're in your, are now, we're both 22, our 22 year old self, we know what we would say now when somebody says that to us. But when you're 14 years old and you don't have that voice yet, and even an insecure part of you somewhere is saying, I'm just glad this boy thinks I'm cute. And sorry to you other black girls, I'm, I must be the elite black girl out here. I'm the exception. <laughs> 
I think I feel like the first time that really hit me and hurt me and and I think it developed I just definitely developed like a level of insecurity myself was I was in middle school and I and again I was here in Carrizo and um when I was in Maryland you know how you kids date but like it's middle school so like dating is not that serious in middle school I was dating this guy in in Maryland in middle school I was dating this guy he's Moldovan so he's European white as hell but he never liked talked about my skin color he was just super like a gentleman he was just really nice and we just like got along and it was like really cute and really nice but I didn't like see how peculiar and like special that was until I moved to Carrizo here and there was another guy that I was talking to you and like he was like I really like you but I can't date you and I was like why not he was like because I'm afraid of what my parents and my family would say and I was like, wow, like, and, and I actually, I was really confused. And I had to ask why and he was like, yeah, because like you're black. And I was like, damn, are we like in the 1960s? <laughs> I'm sure that was like 2012 or something. Like that's not even that long ago. And I was, I didn't even know how to react. I probably just like sat there and I was like, dang, like, I, I don't know what type of self image I'm supposed to have. It's mm-hmm. like, this skin color something that I can't control you know what I mean like is gonna be the reason I end up single and alone like dang and you know because you're here for middle school the same people you're here with middle school are gonna be the same people you're gonna see in in high school ain't nothing new in this town so if I can't find somebody now dang I'm gonna be single for the rest of my freaking career (laughs) I was I'm not even gonna lie I, I like somewhat dated another one of my friends now but even then I was like we can't we're not in a relationship we're just really good friends and that's it and I was like well like ain't nobody here for me like if I literally had no car if I didn't go to Austin I'd be single and that's freaking not, not that, that just sucks and like your self-image is just so shitty mm-hmm. I'm just crazy now yeah but I was just really disappointed and sorry like a tangent I want to make is that that's that type of self-image I think develops differently so for myself I was just like you know what screw it and that was like also one of the reasons I was like let me just go natural because ain't nobody here find me attractive and even if they do like they don't have the balls to even ask me out so this is the great time to transition I like at some point did the big chop I had a fro I don't know if you can see my hairline but it looks like I got a freaking edge up dude the whole freaking four years of my high school, somebody's little brother. I didn't care because I had to transition. I was like, I'm just, it's going to get to my shoulders one day, but we got to start somewhere. And ain't nobody checking for me. I remember um, I was surprised by this. I got voted like Miss CSHS, like Misses of the high school. It's like not prom queen, but like the like, not, is, is it even homecoming? I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But then they were like, we need to take photos of you. And I was like, damn, like, I've never, I haven't sent in front of a camera in like four years, looking like somebody's brother. I had to go get braids in real quick, all janked up. Anyways, in my yearbook, I look like, I was, I just look messed up, but I wasn't checking for anybody. Nobody was checking for me and, and it was okay. And the opposite of that, I'm sorry, I'm like going off. No, opposite you're good, of- I'm very interested. <laughs> Opposite is my sister, who I feel like she, I think I'm sure she experienced similar things. And she like got, I was, my whole high school career, I was freaking jealous because I was like, why does she look so hot? And why don't I care? Like, why do I look like the like sister who doesn't know how to like use makeup yet and is just learning and looks kind of like, 
like all crusty on the side and I'm older she what she just like got into a lot of jewelry started buying expensive stuff like she, she knows how to put on eyelashes I still don't she does like all the like face looks all the outfits she was dating some random white guy I was like damn like what in the where am I who am I like the, the whole prom ass nobody asked me to prom I asked her damn like just like you see your struggles or like the what the cards you've been given in Carrizo and I think we like really dealt with it in different ways like she was like the hot girl number one like people she was like judging people people were crying over her meanwhile I was over here with my little edge up and my fro trying to keep it together and you know what it was okay because here I am hopping <laughs> thank you but yeah I feel that so like I don't know if any day that I think we would have to go to a therapist for like a good six months to kind of undo some of the insecurities that growing up in these neighborhoods have instilled in us because there used to be times too where like I know I knew a guy liked me, but mind you, they're Hispanic or white. And I just know, and I know it. And they showed these other things and like do the whole googly eyes and trying to hold my hand on the side and stuff like behind people's eyes. I remember the most traumatic one happened when I was in like second grade. And um, this boy was like playing footsies with me under the table. And like, he had whispered to me in the middle of class, like, will you be my girlfriend? And another girl overheard him and was like, did you just ask Delapo to be your girlfriend? her and he was like no no never I would never do that me me who me and I was like this guy really like mind you if he asked somebody else like the other Katie or whatever it would have been like oh that's so cute and that's how I really like I knew I was I was some like there's always that level of thinking like, I'm like yes you men like me but the thing about it it's really only my skin color that's keeping you from wanting to claim you claim me mind you I was never actually able to date you know with my parents and everything like that and sometimes that would like appease my insecurities because I'd be like oh well I mean I can't even date anyway so like it's not a big deal that he won't ask me to be his girlfriend or something like that but we're doing all the things that boyfriend and girlfriend would do but like not being content without the label was also kind of sad like ugh. and on that for me what really made me like oh I need a man man it's like I, I like I need someone who's not ashamed of me like and if that's like a basic thing like dang but for me to be like I literally can't date anybody here because I know all y'all are like slightly embarrassed like dang like what what do I gotta do mm -hmm. and besides bleach my skin like I'm fine even with my my freaking edge up my lineup I look good what is up and I was just like, like, it was just very like traumatizing. And there, I think in high school, there was a guy that I think really liked me. Oh, let me, let me start confessing stuff. That's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know how vulnerable I can get on here. Um, as much as you're comfortable with. Okay. Cause I, I just exposed myself. Let me, let me see. So there was a guy and you know, I'm super, what's the word? Like I have set a goal and I will run to it. There's a guy that I saw my freshman year of high school that I was like, oh, he's really cute. He's tall he's nice looking he was um hispanic fresh off the boat i mean border whatever you want to call it and i was like you know what i want that and i'm going to achieve it so like i think the second semester of my freshman year we started dating and red red signs like like you know red flags were one he was talking to another girl and i knew it 
but again again that self-image like feeling that I don't even deserve exclusivity like this is the most I will get let me be okay with it but also look I was like I ain't going to end up with this guy like I feel like he's not flaunting me enough like I like is he proud of me that way um there was that and then just like I don't know just the idea that he the the dude caught feelings and he was like and I was like you know it's time for me to go um I mean you're about to you're going to graduate I was like a freshman then so I was going to sophomore year he was graduating and he was like why don't you want this to be long distance why don't you want to stay with me and I was like bro did I not just catch you on someone's like talking to someone like don't catch feelings man like remember in the one morning he like drove to my house and I was like bro Mind you, the lobs, I can't date either. So what's this do in my driveway? He was like, I'm leaving and you're not even gonna say goodbye. I said, bro, bro you couldn't text it on the phone. I'm already gonna get in trouble. Mm-hmm. My parents had caught me before. They had like, they're like, who's that guy that dropped you off? And I was like, uh, no, a friend. And they're like, no, down. And I was like, shit. <laughs> it was a whole team. But I mean, my point is just that, like, there's a lot. Oh, what I wanted to bring up was that he was like, well, because we're together, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to expose here. He's like, you should give me your virginity for my graduation present. Oh, my reaction was, you're not even top 10%. Like, what <laughs> graduation present? So it was, a, it was just a thing. I mean, that was for me when I was like, you know, I am way, I'm worth way, way much more than this. Like, bye, bye. Like, but that was like the beginning of myself, like re- reclaiming, reclaiming my time, reclaiming my self-image. That I can look crusty on a Monday. I can look baked and clean on a Tuesday. And both of those are equally worth respect. And that's sort of, and like, I'm still going to be, you know, successful and happy with myself regardless. And that's something that like brought me to where I am today. And I, and mind you, that happened outside of Carrizo in a more like diverse location where the black guys were checking for me and I still felt comfortable enough to say no. Yeah. (laughs) It takes a lot. Honestly, I think also too, just being women who are pretty academically driven, that gives you a lot of freedom too, because I mean, of course you shouldn't put all your worth in your academics or your career path and whatnot, but at the same time, like it gives you a lot of confidence. And also even your relationship when it comes to Christ or even the fact that you come from a pretty like desirable home to you would be happy to marry into this family. Like, who do you think I am? And so I'm glad that we were able to like get some confidence from those er other areas of our lives. Um, So this next thing, I just kind of want to share some like these are what I truly, when people say microaggressions, what I really understand to be microaggressions when I point to these times in my life. And all my examples come from my church. Because I did, I went to a church that was predominantly white for a good portion of my life, from like elementary school to high school. And um, that's where I spent a lot of my time. I was there on Sundays, I was there on Wednesdays, sometimes on Mondays, and then for social activities throughout the week. So these are people I mostly interacted with on my day-to-day life. And I just say, yeah. I was just saying, why why is it that when you mentioned church, a whole barrage of like traumatic experiences (laughs) just hit me? And like when people say that they have like, when people say that they have church hurt, and I never, th- I'm like, I don't never have no church hurt. Like nobody can hurt my feelings. But at the same time, I can see it whenever it comes to 
race and Christianity is always going to be a complicated thing because we're dealing with these this life that we have outside and these things that influence us. And just because we enter the church doesn't make those things disappear. And so I remember in one instance, um, we had not gone to church for a while. And it was because my parents were trying to transition us into another church, which was predominantly Nigerian. And so we had went there for a few weeks and I told my mom, I was like, can I just, I wanna go back to our other church, just visit them for one week. And she was like, fine, okay, go. And so I went with my sister and my brother. And um, I remember when we got there too, they were like, oh my God, we haven't seen you in forever. We were, we were so worried. Like we thought maybe you and your family got Ebola. And I remember just being like, don't we live in the same neighborhood? Like only one person got, didn't one, only one person in Texas get Ebola, them and then the nurse that took care of them. And so I'm like, we run, we run in the same circle. I go to the same school as your kids. Where would I go and get Ebola from? And so to me, that's, to me, that's why I was like, okay, this is a microaggression. Number two, I remember that same day, I was like, I don't know if I could come back to this church again. Like it was kind of jarring like that first day back. And um, I was like, she was asking me like, oh, what are your plans for college and da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, I want to go to UT. And I said, I wanted to go to UT because my mom always told me, I will actually, I don't know why. I just didn't say it with certainty, but I was like, yeah, I want to go to UT. And she's like, you know, that's a really hard school to get into. So, you know, just make sure you keep your options open. You know, in this Texas where you have top 5%, you just go to any school that you want. <sighs> I was like, it's like, I was like, you you honestly never got the chance to know. I've known this woman since I was a child. You never got the chance to really know me to know that that is a breeze. Mind you, I've been barely going to this other church where they're asking me above and beyond that. Not if you're going to college or do you want to go to college? It's like, oh, you're going to UT? Well, why don't you do this and do this on top of that, you know? And like having kinds of aspirations for you. So I, to me, that was a microaggression in itself. Mind you, she had kids that were in jail and never went to college. So <laughs> it's a really hard school, you know, it's a really hard school to get into. And then the third one, when it comes to just feeling like, oh man, I'm just sticking out like a sore thumb. When Obama got elected, imagine being the only happy people in a church filled of people. The whole mood, you would have thought half of the church had died that past week. It was like we were there for funeral. And just being the only happy people like, wow, our first black president, I'm so excited and happy. And then they're talking about how we should all come together to feel better about the situation of the nation and everything. You're like, can't relate. We're eating celebratory eon and a goosey soup when I get home. Like, ah, weird, crazy. But well, we have, yeah, go ahead. You can't show it. You can't show your joy mm -mm. At, at church. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. But how about you? Oh, I mean, on the Obama thing, I remember like the the pastor at the pulpit. So we all, whenever we walk into church, we get like the little, you know, the little papers with the like, what's going to happen, who's deacon of the week, all this, whose birthday it is. Mm -hmm. And in there, they had inserted reasons to vote for Trump. And it wasn't even like get out to vote. It was like the church is voting for Trump and here's why. Mm -hmm. um, and then the pastor at the pulpit was telling everybody like, we're all going to go, you know, together and we're going to vote for Trump. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was just very confused because I was like, hmm, like, all these things that we're saying about him, like, I don't even, there's a disconnect, there's a there's dissonance for me, like, with why you think he actually embodies the things you have on this paper, on this list, and is it because, you know, it's actually Democrat versus Republican, or actually because, like, 
this guy's um just a white guy and all the church loves is white mm -hmm. i remember we had we have like a few hispanics so we're the only black family in the church only black family really in that like town central area and we had a hispanic past youth or choir director and he he's been leading choir since i was in middle school um and he's been very vocal on facebook online about like you know and he's he's rally democratic he actually led the democrat um democratic like section of our town's politics for the past like couple years and, and he in our parade town parade everyone's super conservative republican he freaking drove a freaking beto whatever covered all over his truck through um, that's how bold and proud he is. And the reason he stepped down, the reason he left is because a pastor made a comment and he was like, the church is becoming so Hispanic or so like, I can't even remember what, what he said. Uh, we might even have to get a, a Hispanic pastor soon. And he's like, then, then I'll be out of a job. And I was like, why does, he was like, why does race have to come into it, right? The Lord's oh, people are like, oh, yes. why that just because we have a burgeoning Latino, mind you, this town is 99% Latino, Hispanic, Mexican. Like, why does that matter to you and to the people in your congregation? And it's because like the like 10 to 12 white families we have here are the ones that come to the church, that church. Um, so that's like one side of racism. One microaggression that really hurt me that like, I think God was like, this is a, this is your test. This is your test. Your test was we were at church camp. It always ends at church camp. And my, they divide us, like we come with our church, but they divide us into like church groups. So we all do competitions together, like Bible study or like relay races or mud things or whatever, like fun stuff you do with youth groups. And I remember our, my youth, my little group had one. So we all went to the front to like jump around and celebrate and get the little like church flag and bring that back with us because we get to carry it for the day. Mm. And I was wearing, so in high school, I'm on the dance, the drill team and um, the youth pastor's daughter is on the cheerleading team. Well, she's, she's the mascot. She was the cheerleading, the high school mascot. So she got the same uniforms as the high school team. And that year we got some of the same uniforms. And so I was wearing a pair of shorts. She was wearing the exact same pair of shorts. I went up there to like cheer on with my team. And when I came back, my youth pastor, white man, pulled my arm and was like, you need to go change right now. You need to go put on leggings over your, like under your shorts because you are being provocative to the young men around here. <sighs> at his daughter wearing the exact same shorts and, and okay let me let me not even mince words this is not as if she's some like skinny white girl that girl is at least in the dexterier in the behind at least 20 pounds heavier thicker than me she's got ass let me not even whatever i have she has times 60 i'm not even kidding her booty cheeks are bigger than my head <laughs> And he's telling me that I, in front, because what you know when your freaking big ass, old ass white man is coming and going through the freaking blast stairs to come grab your arm and tell you to go, everybody's looking. And he's like, you need to go right now and change into that. Me. And I think I was either in high school or middle school still, but like I was so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I 
I'm black, right? I'm already having all these black traumatic experiences, but now to be even body shamed, mm-hmm. it just, it hurt so much. Like I was so embarrassed. Like now as everyone is here in the tabernacle, watching me walk back the like five minutes to the cabin to go put tights under my shorts in this like 90, 110 degree heat. Does that make sense? Like, if I didn't have the relationship with God that I did, the way I would have cursed that man out in front of everybody. Look at your big ass butt. <laughs> Sorry, so many bad words just came out just there. But yeah, it's true. Really- it's the over sexualization. And then you start Black to feel women. Un- unnecessary shame. For what? For what? If you are basing this on the, the, the meat mass. I'm not even that thick. Your daughter, your own flesh and blood has 60 times what I got. And you telling me to go change. Like listeners, I want you to know, like Lois is very petite, a very petite woman. I'm a straw with some cheeks. That's it. (laughs) And I was just so embarrassed. And like, I couldn't even come back. I was like, God, like you really tested at church camp. Like I expect that to happen anywhere at church camp. It was just so traumatizing. That was the first thing on my list. And I always bring it up and it's painful whenever, like I had to learn to deal with that because when you bring it up to like other church individuals, they're always like, yeah, you need to dress modestly. I was like, bruh, those shorts, let me stand up and tell you where those shorts covered me because they yeah they were like here mm-hmm. this guy wanted me to take shirts that are here and then add leggings down here my freaking panini was sweating damn <laughs> just for god like i was confused mm-hmm. and then the worst part was that next day i wanted to leave with tights on because i was like you know what if brother let me not say his name if this church youth pastor doesn't want me to wear the shorts let me wear the tights Tell me why the female admin was like, nope, it looks too sexualized. You can't wear that. You got to wear the shorts over it again. Mind you, didn't bring enough clothes to be re-wearing this stuff. And I've been rolling in the mud. Mm-hmm. Very confused as to what any woman can wear that isn't baggy or loose. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know, is um, my mom used to be part of this church group, group called um, Deepa Life. They dress like, like nuns and they always wear loose clothings. And they can't wear earrings or makeup. I was like, is this church? Is this deep life? Am I back in freaking Nigeria? Is this like the 60th century? I was just so annoyed and angry that it, not even like super white conservatives are policing my body, but just like y'all random white people are policing me just because I don't have the same body type as you. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm fit, you come for me. So I just had to bring that in there. Like, and it just really traumatized. I'm so angry, clearly, till today. Yeah. Um. Don't know how to handle it. Yeah. Don't know how to deal with it, but just makes me mad. And I, I brought it up to my deeper life mom for support. And she was like, you know, you just need to dress modestly. And I said, that's why I'm dressing like a hoochie mama for the next two months <laughs> as a lesson to all y'all. Because clearly, you're not understanding my point. Mm-hmm. Especially because his approach to it, too. Like, my thing is, I feel like some people, they don't understand perspective and how do you the way you did that to me how do you not understand that that is a very aggressive way of handling it for him to come over to you publicly 
then come and grab your arm and then give you a command. And it allow his, did his daughter continue to wear the same shorts for the rest of the day? He did. And the same types too, because we got, we have a whole like week long uniform that we have. So she wore the exact same types the whole time. I don't know. Types. Types. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what they, it's the aggression. It's aggressive. And they, I don't think they really understand that those behaviors are aggressive. And um, I mean, I don't know. I, I really wonder what kind of microaggressions white people go through. It'd be really interesting to know. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if they can be microaggressized or whatnot, but <laughs> microaggressized, if that's a word. But um, yeah, do you have anything else you'd like to share concerning this subject? <laughs> Let me see. Um, well, another one, I think it's not necessarily microaggression, but it's just like, I don't, I don't even know how to categorize it. I remember my pastor just made a point to text me that like he's praying for black people. Like we have like, so we usually go to um, like New Mexico to do mission work. And in New Mexico, there's like one other black preacher. And he like texted me, he's like, brother, blah, 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 lost his job and we'll be praying for him. And I was like, I remember like sister, blah, uncle, blah, brother, blah, lost their jobs too. And you didn't text me to notify me about that and tell me that you're praying for them. So I was just like, some of it's just like uncomfortable. You don't have to like over compensate to tell me that you're not racist. Mm -hmm. The fact that you do might mean that you're racist. Mm -hmm. um, that, there's that. And then I remember also our church never prayed for Obama. Those eight years, I actually thought we just didn't pray for the presidents. We didn't bring politics into it until Trump became president and dang, that was top of the list Pray <laughs> on the prayer board. That was where we were, what we were doing. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. Like I was like, dang, I thought we didn't do this. Mm -hmm. Turns out it was just because of Obama. Um, what else? Oh, every time our pastor mentions anybody black, he, so, you know, everybody sits in the same like pews. Mm -hmm. He always finds a way to look over, not even look over at us. He will leave his pulpit to walk <laughs> to our side and make me make it eye contact. I'm always so uncomfortable. Like, are we supposed to be giving you like praise or acknowledgement? And I, and again, I feel like the more people do that, like the more you do that, the more I know you're racist because there's no way you need to be compensating that much. That's not gonna give you absolution. My mom is definitely not gonna give you absolution. It's not coming from me. Gift ain't gonna do it. My brother ain't gonna do it. Why are you looking over here? I'm always so confused. If it's like MLK day or week, he will like leave that pulpit to walk to the left, or might even come down the stairs to make sure he's next to us. Is he like, dang, bro? Like it's not necessary. It's not. That even reminds me of one time that when I was in elementary school and it was like Christmas time and we had watched a Christmas movie or something and then now we were talking about different cultures, different things that different cultures practice on Christmas and there was no discussion before this assembly happened, Lois. As soon as they brought up Kwanzaa, she asked me to get up from where I was sitting, come to the front of the classroom and tell them about Kwanzaa. I got up there and I said, I celebrate Christmas and went and sat back down. <laughs> Like, I was in the first grade, I think. And for her to literally, she put me on the spot. And she was like, can you please tell us more about Kwanzaa? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't even know what Kwanzaa is. I just learned it today with the rest of the class. <laughs> that, oh my God. When, when we first like started going to church at my church, I remember um, 
like the church people asked us, oh, where are, like, where are you guys from? And we're from Nigeria. And then one of the ladies like that runs, helps run the church, she was like, do you mind um, dressing in your native wear and dancing through the pews on cultural day? My mom looked at me, she was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, Betty Sue, I don't think so. <laughs> Oh my God. Can you put on your costumes and come to church? Oh. I don't remember. Can you wear your costumes? And we're doing cultural day. Do you mind wearing your costumes and dancing through the pews? What in the hell are you requesting? I remember it was either Betty Sue or Mary Lou. I, I, you think I'm rhyming, but I'm not. Those are their names. <laughs> and it's so weird too, because like the fact that a lot of these experiences come from the church environment like honestly even before I came to this conversation I didn't even realize I was going to talk this much about things that happen in church right. and mind you I went to a predominantly and this is the thing too we shouldn't have to be so segregated like Christians are Christians and whatnot but I went through a um when I went to college I went to a predominantly black church now coming out of the gates I'm moving back home uh, my brother goes to a conference in Austin and he invites me with his church group so I go with them and um, I didn't know it was going to be this whole racially traumatic event that happens on like the second day. And um, so this guy comes on the, he's giving his sermon and he's talking about I don't, forgiveness. Is it forgiveness or basically relating to how God has clean, cleansed us of our sins, salvation. And mm -hmm. so he talks about a slave auction where a um, woman is being sold and a man comes from behind and decides to buy her. Now that he buys her, he tells her, you know what? You're free. You can go on your way. And um, she's like, you know what? Thank you so much. Like, that is such an awesome thing. I, I'm deciding that I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. And here I am as a Black person. I'm like, you really have to bring slaves into this. I'm sitting in the crowd. I'm already uncomfortable. And then as soon as he's done, like he was really thinking it was gonna be a really impactful thing. I'm sure some people in the crowd never, again, perspective, didn't take it the way I took it. And some of the black people that I was sitting next to took it. And so um, I come out of the meeting, I go to my brother and I'm like, it's kind of weird analogy to use. You know what I mean? Like, hmm, crazy. And then I come into this meeting and like this one pastor comes up to me and he was like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm okay. Like completely already forgot about the sermon I just listened to. He's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm fine. Like, I don't know. He's like, are you really enjoying the conference so far? And I'm like, yeah, I'm here with my brother. I don't really know too many people here. It's my brother's Bible group from school. And he's like, okay. And so now we all sit down in this area and he gets up and goes to the front of the place. I was like, oh, I didn't even know he was that big of a pastor. And he was like, what that pastor just did out there in the general meeting was wrong for our black brothers and sisters, like, because it's true. His analogy is completely wrong. Because if you think about it, that's justice. Because the woman did nothing wrong. She should never have been sold into slavery. So we as sinners have done something wrong. So to paint us sinners and a, so a woman sold into slavery, taken from her home country and equate it. Ain't the same. It ain't the same. And so I, I appreciate the church for, um, I mean, that pastor for taking the time to kind of like, you know, reconcile that thing. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I'm just like, damn, you gotta be black everywhere. Like, you know, white people over here are like, oh man, why are they still talking about this? Let's move on with the weekend and have fun. And over here, like, this is my first introduction to this whole um, 
conference and now that's the only thing that's going to be on my mind for the whole time i wonder yeah. what this guy's going to say wrong this time like it's yeah. all right you really got to be black every day man but, yeah but i just want to so in closing because we're reaching <laughs> the end of this episode um in every episode i always ask my um my guest what they're currently trying to do better in their own life so it can be related to this topic or it cannot be related to this topic. Hmm. Do what I'm trying to do better. Well, I feel like what I was doing was not getting offended or not getting tired of like having to explain. Unfortunately, that's like changing now. Damn, like the whole BLM thing just brought up like open wounds and like made non- POC people more like, I want to hear, I want to understand, I want to, which is great, but like, why does it have to be me all the time? Um, what I'm trying to learn to do is to delegate that responsibility to others. And I think that's something that is allowing me to not get annoyed or angry or frustrated with like the lack of like knowledge that people have. Something I'm also just learning is I remember someone made a joke about this, like Oprah Winfrey was like, just let all the races die and we move on. Like they're old. I mean, not all of them, but y'all all going to get hit the ground eventually. So that's what I'm also waiting for. Like you're probably, if someone is probably racist or ignorant or whatever, that's shitty. But also dude, you ain't going to be here forever. So I'll see you. Mm -hmm. I'll see you when I see you. And, and like, that's, Sort of the ambivalence that I am adopting to sort of maintain my mental health because otherwise you can't be a social justice warrior every single day yeah. you can't yeah. get the energy it takes to be offended and to you know have indignation and to try to explain and to be like like did you hear yourself that energy I can be using to freaking watercolor so that's where I am and that's what I'm trying to do to do do better with myself yeah, that's awesome. And, oh, I was gonna say something that I really appreciate is so I started like a equity and inclusion team. Um, and I really was trying to spearhead it, but I also like appointed uh someone to lead that committee. And all the administration have been really good about like, yeah, you want to talk to Lois, but I have appointed somebody, go ahead and talk to that person. And that's what I mean by like, you know, take that stress off of your back because it's not it's not you, you don't have to be black every single day. Someone else can, even if they're brown, they can still represent the blacks. You have been trained, you are welcome. Sometimes it's peace. Y'all get to travel and live life carefree. Even country music, when I listen to it, I'm like, these people like, I love, I love country music, but sometimes I just can't relate to that feeling that it has. Cause it's just a lot of just carefreeness. And I'm just like, I just want to get to that point. I was born and raised in Texas. Like I should be able to feel like I'm connected to that kind of lifestyle. Listen to Carrie Underwood. I feel like her stuff, even some stuff that she makes, I'm like, oh, she's kind of trying a little bit too hard. I don't know if you've heard, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's like, I'm going to love everybody regardless of like the color of your skin and da, 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 da. Okay. I was like, that one's trying a little too hard, but her other songs are always beautiful, I think. <laughs> so I would say too, what I'm trying to do better is I, like I said, like um, earlier this week when we were on our group call to kind of just, I don't want to isolate myself when it comes to diversity. One time in college, I was sitting at a table with a study group and they were all women. They were all black. They were all Nigerian up to the point where out of seven, six of them were Yoruba. I was like, how did I get here? 
Like, I mean, that's therapeutic, I feel. And and what you have right there is something that I'm going to be, I'm still hunting for. I still feel like it's hard for people to have these identities and then find a niche where they're comfortable. And yeah, diversity is great, but there's got to be somewhere, some place where you can just go home, essentially, right? Just be yourself. Use all your 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 bilingual. Just talk. Use your accent. Feel comfortable. Have a goosey and not be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. It's true. So it's like I want to find that balance because like my brother's friend group is. I mean, I even feel like your friend group and at UT outside of like VOA and all those other people was pretty diverse. And I'm kind of feeling like I missed out on that. So just right now, trying to cultivate relationships with people from all different backgrounds. So, yeah. But Lois, thank you so much for being on this episode with me. I've honestly really enjoyed our time together. Is there any parting words that you have for the listeners? Um, I mean, nothing really. Do your, lay your edges or don't, because I don't. Um, and just drink water. That's all I got. <laughs> you heard it here first. All right. So thanks, y'all. Y'all have a great week, great month. And I'll see you next time. All right. Awesome.